Hey friends, this is Andy. Chorus.ai is the platform for the vice president of sales. Chorus believes that customer conversations are a company's most powerful but most underutilized and overlooked asset. With every sales call and meeting seamlessly recorded, transcribed, and analyzed in real time, Chorus.ai provides an unparalleled view into your sales and customer success teams. Highlight coachable moments. Uncover insights about your competitors. Proactively identify at-risk deals and so much more with Chorus.ai's elegant and easy-to-use solution for today's data-driven sales leaders. And even better, reps can get started for free today and start seeing real results within the first five minutes simply by going to hello.chorus.ai forward slash signup. That's hello.chorus.ai forward slash signup. Remember, Chorus.ai, today's platform for the VP of sales. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves. You need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to episode 599, 599 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me today on Accelerate is my guest, Henry Shook. Henry is the founder and CEO of Discover.org. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk about how to optimize the value of the list of names that your sales team or that you yourself are using to develop new business, to prospect, call on potential customers, build relationships with new buyers. And it's no secret that every market that we sell into these days is, is incredibly competitive. And so there's really a requirement for sales organizations of all sizes to really amp up the sophistication of how they sell. And so we're going to talk today about how you can do that, how you can amp up your selling in order to compete with the big dogs. So if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 599. As always, we provide detailed breakdowns of this conversation and actually all the conversations on Accelerate. Now, before I talk with Henry, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by Henry and his colleagues at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discover.org.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. All right, let's jump into it with Henry Shook. Henry, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So I've got a standard question I always lead off the interviews with. And um, actually, maybe the last 300 <laughs> interviews, I had a different standard question before. But this time, standard question is for you is, is in your opinion, what, what's the single biggest challenge that's facing sales reps today? Great question. Um, the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today. Uh, 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say the ability to, um, the ability to connect with their buyer in a meaningful way. And I'll tell you why I say, I say that, uh, more and more, I see sales reps becoming younger and younger. Um, and especially at the sort of SDR and BDR level where a lot of companies, <laughs> I hate to tell you that just because cool. you're getting older. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Might be. <laughs> they look really, they look really young to me, <laughs> but we're, the, we'll hire them and we see our clients will hire sales reps, you know, right out of college. Sure. And I'll put them on the phones and they'll say, you know, go set appointments with CIOs and VPs of infrastructure and VPs of sales and VPs of marketing. And so the ability to take a, to take somebody who's right out of college or even like one or two jobs post college and then wrap their minds around the business context in general, like companies spend millions of dollars on technological tools and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on data and sales intelligence and getting, you know, getting them to understand how the business world works in a short period of time when all they've seen is high school and college makes it not only intimidating, but also very difficult to connect with a VP of sales, a VP of IT. Um, And so they have to be able to um, process a lot of information in a short period of time and then, and then figure out the context around that information so that they're able to be experts in their small little area um, and provide value to their clients and, um, and their well, prospects. So I think that's a, that's a tough challenge. Well, it is. So let's dive into that a little bit. I mean, what's, what's the answer? Cause this is, yeah, this is, I mean, this goes back a long time. I, 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 my first sales job right out of college, you know, I was in the field calling on business owners and I looked 12. <laughs> um, Andy, I uh, still look like 12. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I've got this uh, screensaver picture on my, my iPhone. It's a picture of my wife and I when we were after our freshman year in college. And, <laughs> and literally, she looks 35. I look 13. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I won't tell the other half of that story. That's the worm has turned on that one, but out. but, um, but yeah, I, I always like, well, how did, how did any of these people ever make a decision to buy from me? Because again, I look like an adolescent, uh, when we're out selling $200,000 computer systems. Yep. And, and so it must've been something about, well, yeah, I was able to connect at some level with them, able to understand what their concerns were and, you know, empathize and everything you need to do to build this trust-based relationship. And I'm not sure exactly yeah. what, what that was um, <laughs> other than, you know, I, I, somebody was asking me about this recently is, is, you know, part of it is just being myself. And I yep. think that's, I think that's hard for a lot of people these days. And I, because maybe they feel under pressure, make a lot of calls, do a lot of dials or whatever, but, but yeah, I just think that was part of it. And we don't let people yeah, do I mean, that as much. Yeah, we don't let people do that as much. And I think, I think on top of that, um, you know, I bet you really understood the the product and the service that you were selling and the value that it was adding for your clients. And you're probably passionate about those things. Um, and you're probably intellectually curious. So when you didn't understand something, you went out of your way to figure it out. And that's, that's, certainly that, and, yes. Yeah. And, and if you're doing that, 
and you know you're able to explain the the process or a structure or, um, or the system in some way that the your buyer hasn't thought of yet. I think that is how you get there. I mean, there are different like uh, it shouldn't be confused with like rapport building. I think because I think a lot of people go, okay, you know, I'm going into a sales call. I gotta, you know, I gotta the whole like, oh, I saw a picture of his son likes soccer or something, or it'll talk to him about the baseball team he likes. Like, I just don't think you buy a lot of credibility doing that. You buy credibility by asking questions about their business and what they're struggling with and challenged with, and then being able to triangulate that with solutions, whether yours or not, but solutions that solve those problems. Um, and the more you ask questions and the more you dig, the more you're going to understand and the better prepared you're going to be to, to, uh, to solve those problems. Yeah. And, and I, that's, well, and that's sort of how I build rapport. I just ask a lot of questions until I feel like I really understand what they're struggling with. And then all of a sudden we're on an equal playing field and we're both working towards figuring out the solution to that problem. Um, and, and that feels like a really good place to be. Oh, I agree. I, but at the same time, I'll defend small talk <laughs> because, okay. I, because I, I, a, a, I, I've just experienced through my life and through my career that that it works in terms yep. of helping to make that connection. I mean, it can't be trivial or stupid, right? I mean, it has to be authentic, and you have to be, you know, it has to be authentic. You have to be authentically interested in someone else, and and they understand when you are being as opposed yep. to when you're not. I mean, if you're coming in, you so, said, just are sort of scanning the room, and and oh, your daughter yep. plays soccer. It's like, yeah, that that doesn't do it, right? But if it's something that we did a training years ago at our sales kickoff where we gave everybody a couple people's LinkedIn profiles and we said, okay, use these to figure out how you're going to build rapport with, uh, with these different people if you were on the call with them. Um, and then people looked at them and they had a couple ways. None of them were really great. And the guy who was putting on the session said, look at, look at the first guy. Uh, before he went into technology sales and he's had 20 years of technology sales experience. He was selling, uh, he was a sales guy for M&M, M&Ms, the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, that's a really interesting thing to ask him about. And so right. the way you build rapport with that guy is you go, John, like I was looking at your LinkedIn. It's so fascinating. You spent 15 years at M&M selling chocolate. How does someone go from selling chocolate to selling technology? And yeah. you know, the guy, like when you say that to the guy, he lights up. It's an interesting thing to talk about. Um, you're showing genuine interest, and it's so much. It's so much more powerful than, you know. I see your daughter play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even something that's that's more lighthearted. I mean, I something like I see you work for Eminem. So why do the blue ones taste different than the rest of them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just something simple like that is people will laugh and they'll say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you open the door to talk about it. I mean, it's it, you know, you don't always have to you know tie it back to the business, but it's just like, yep, be funny, make it authentic if that's who you are. Um, well, I heard an interesting, sort of along the same line, an interesting story. It's on on one of the late night shows. Uh, I don't like DVR. I was scrolling through it, and Jerry Seinfeld was on, and he talked about how his father had been in sales. And his father had this game that he played where, you know, he was trying to build rapport with someone. And he was talking about the people had, you know, all you think this old time person sitting behind a desk, grim face, not breaking a smile. And I, I encountered many, 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 many people like that. 
and I sort of ended up doing the same thing Jerry's father did was suddenly the whole sales call came about making him break that face. Yep. And yep. sometimes it was completely pointless, but sometimes that's what it took to get the person just to relax and understand that you're not there trying to shove something down their throat, but you're there to help them. You're, you know, you're another human being because, you know, they went into the whole encounter with their walls up. Well, yep. how, do you, how, do, how do you help bring those walls down? And I thought that was yeah, sort of an interesting way he had phrased it, the way his father did is you know, trying to break that face. Yeah, definitely. A little harder when you're on the phone, perhaps. In some a lot respects, harder when you're on you the phone. Because you can't see the person. Although, you know, we're using, we're, we're, we're pushing our reps to use webcams way more often. Oh, good. And, it, you know, it works. Our reps who, who own webcams, you know, look, what, what happens when you're on a, on a call and you're not using a webcam? You're free to respond to emails, look at your phone. Oh, yeah, multitasking. Multitasking. And when a call gets boring, your mind drifts. And so I actually found myself on calls um, when they would get boring or, or – they would be, you know, they would be off the, the sales rep or somebody else would, would be off on a tangent. I would, I would end up going on Facebook. And I, <laughs> and then I realized after like four or five times of doing that, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you can't just, there's so many better things for you to be doing than flipping through Facebook on this call. And you should probably be listening. But in the meantime, I went to IT and I said, block Facebook, just block <laughs> Facebook. None yeah. of us really need Facebook <laughs> right now at work. And I'll be the first one to have it blocked. Like, block me first. Um, well, and then you, and then from a habit uh, perspective, all of a sudden, I don't really need to go to Facebook anymore. It's just not something I do. Yeah. Well, and that'd be a, Talking about habits, where you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started recording, is is that that um, you know we're incapable of multitasking. You know the science is absolutely clear. We as humans are incapable of doing it. And uh, I, in my public presentations, I talk about this. Where a study was done by some researchers at Carnegie Mellon, where they took study subjects, put them into a room one one at a time, and gave them a multiple choice test. And then about halfway through the test. They interrupted them with a the phone call. They weren't expecting the phone call. And it was a short call for like a minute. And then they let them go back and finish the test. And after they had done this for, I forget the sample size, 200, 300 students, that the test scores after the phone call were 20% lower on average across the board. Wow. And so the researcher says, wow. you know, trying to multitask makes us 20% dumber. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like. Wow. Yep. So it's hugely powerful, right? It's, and so those habits you talked about, yeah, turning off Facebook or just telling your reps if they're on the phone, they got their headset on, they got to put their phone in the drawer or yep, they got to exactly. turn it off and leave it in their car because especially if they're going into a talk to a customer, they definitely need to leave the phone in their car or in their pocket and just ignore it. But it's it's so hard. I, I tell the story of you know, doing with one client, about 100 people inside sales team, about 100 person team. And I had them raise their hands because what I found is I was giving my, <laughs> they paid a lot of money to bring me in to give them a full day present, you know, workshop is a lot of people were on their phones. So I you know, said, okay, who looks at their phones when you're talking to a customer? Yeah. If it's on the desk and it, you know, get a push notification, who looks at it? And they almost all did. And it's just like, okay, you spend all this time and effort to actually be able to grab the attention to get that prospect on the phone. And what do you do? You don't pay attention to them. Yeah, and I think that actually is uh, 
a powerful differentiator in and of itself. Like when you're talking to a customer or a prospect and you're giving them your full attention, you never look at your phone, you're focused on them. If you think about the other interactions in their lives, most of them are interrupted by look uh, the other person looking at their phone or, um, and all of a sudden you're unique in the, in the respect that you are giving them your full attention. Yeah. I mean, again, researchers have a term for, for this, what they call super checkers. It's people who check their phone more than 52 times a day, I believe. (laughs) And, and, you know, the demographic skews somewhat by age, as you might expect. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, we have now a habit of checking our phones. Yeah, we need to now learn the habit of checking them, but not while we're talking to customers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so um, you have a <laughs> ebook that Discover Org published that is an interesting ebook last year called Sales and Marketing Intelligence is Democratizing Growth and Driving Disruption. And in it, you talked about how there was a moment in time you found yourself sort of stuck and you said you needed a discover org for discover org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm curious what, what you meant by that. Yeah. So just to, to uh, for listeners who don't know, discover org is a sales intelligence tool. So what that means is we provide really accurate data uh, on companies, contacts and uh, companies, contacts, technographics, so what technologies companies are using, and then intent data around what companies are searching for online, what their next projects and initiatives are likely to be, how much they're going to spend on those initiatives, and when they're going to pull the trigger on those initiatives. So you have that information, you have the technology stack, and then you have highly accurate contact information, direct dial phone numbers and emails and org charts on the different departments. So. Um, in 2015, we were putting the budget together for 2016, and we took a you know we we were really aggressive around our projections, and no matter how aggressive we could get, there was a six million dollar shortfall between what the forecasted budget was and what we thought we could achieve internally, and so we we sat there and, and thought, well, how do we you know how do we make up this six million dollar shortfall? And I have my entire leadership team. And the, and the first answer is like, I don't, you know, we can't. We've pulled every lever. We can't. Like, okay, so let's just imagine a world where you could do anything you wanted, where you had access to anything. We could spend as much money as possible to make that $6 million shortfall up. Then what do we do? And, and then again, my head of sales goes, we can't do it because we don't have accurate information on our uh, accounts or our prospects in those accounts. <laughs> and so here we are. It's 2015. We the cobbler, are the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? Exactly. We're literally solving this problem for 2,000 customers around the country. Some of the biggest technology companies in the world, mom and pop shops, and everything in between. We are solving that issue for them. Um, and we, and we weren't solving it for ourselves. And our CFO said, well, if that's the problem, then we are the, we are the, uh, the most capable people in the world at solving that for ourselves. So how do we solve it? And so we said, okay, at the time, discover org didn't cover the sales departments of companies. We covered, uh, it marketing and finance today. We cover it marketing, finance, HR. And we said, okay, well, we need to cover sales for ourselves. So we, 
so we stood up a, a team at Discover Org, a team of researchers. One of the unique things about about our company and the way that we gather data is there's there is a human researcher uh, who sits in our Vancouver, Washington offices who looks at the data. Um, who will will go out and find data that you can't get through scraping or through buying data through other vendors. There's a human who works the data so that it's highly accurate and complete. And so we hired <clears throat> hired about 15 people. We trained them on what who what kind of companies we were looking for, and then we hired an SDR team, a uh, sales development team behind that research. So as they as as the as the researchers would build a profile on a on a on a perfect fit company for us, they'd build out who's the head of sales, who's the head of marketing, what's the direct phone number, do they use Salesforce or Marketo or HubSpot, do they uh, do they have a sales intelligence initiative coming up? Are they hiring salespeople? They put all this information together for us. The same thing that our our group that's profiling IT departments is doing, they're doing it now just for us. And they're feeding that information to us. It feeds through Salesforce. Um, it goes into Outreach, which is our, um, mm-hmm. our, our, our automation tool. It goes into FrontSpin, which is our calling tool. And it sort of just feeds right into our SDR team. And we more than made up the shortfall. We actually uh, sold $10 million of net new business through that process, making up significantly for the $6 million shortfall. And... And here's the thing. We spent over a million dollars on that team that year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when, we, when I talk to prospects and they're looking for data solutions for their teams and data that they need to drive their sales and marketing campaigns, they, if they don't have a tool in place, then they're making a decision to build it internally. Because this is a build or buy proposition. If you're making new sales, you have to have data from somewhere. And so you're either buying it from, from us or you're buying it from someone else, or you have decided that you're going to let your most valuable resource, your sales team, your resource that's responsible for generating new business, expanding existing business and renewing new business, you have decided to make them your researchers because they will be forced to build you a really bad version of Discover Org. Mm-hmm. Because they have to get prospect information. They sure. have to know who their buyers are. Um, and so companies are making a build-or-buy proposi- uh, build decision. We unfortunately didn't have anywhere uh, to buy this data from, nothing that was accurate enough for us to feed through our systems. And so we built it, and it cost us over a million dollars to do. And it'll cost us you know, slightly less than that a year to keep maintained and to add more. Um, but it's exactly what we needed uh, to run our sales team. Yeah, really, really interesting story because I mean it's not unusual, right? I mean companies sell solutions, maybe aren't using it to the the fullest extent themselves. But I mean in that same ebook, there's an interesting quote though. I, something I wanted to explore a little further with you is that is yeah, you because know, it's talking about democratizing growth through the availability of data, right? That's you know sort of levels the playing field. But there's a quote in the ebook saying you know despite the wide availability of data intelligence, many companies still cite lack of high-quality account and contact data information intelligence as the top inhibitor to growth. So, and I find this is really especially true in the SMB space. You know, even, yeah, the tools may be there, but there seems to be this, I almost feel like there's a broadening gap between those companies and, let's say, you know, cutting-edge sales organizations and tech space and so on, in that they're not adopting these these tools. And I'm sort of curious, your perspective about 
how do we start? How do we bridge that gap? Yeah, I mean, so I think actually, I think about this a lot. And, and one of the things that I see is there's definitely a sophistication problem from a systems and process uh, standpoint. And so, so g- getting access to Discover Org and, and getting access to really great data and having a CRM to manage that data or a marketing automation tool to send campaigns out, it's sort of like a very, it's a first step towards success. And uh, what, where, where those systems become powerful and where the data that we provide our customers becomes powerful is when somebody in sales or sales operations or marketing figures out how to take that data and then, and then build a process or a go-to-market process around it. Um, and that's where I see so many customers fall off. Really what we see is SMB customers are not very sophisticated around building a real sales engine. Uh, so being able to start with data, feeding it into a campaign, either in Salesforce, their CRM or Marketo, a marketing automation tool, having that data go in front of a sales rep to make calls against, making sure that every single day you're blocking and tackling against the process where you're making a certain number of outbound calls and setting a certain number of demos that lead to a certain number of opportunities and making sure you're tuning that engine along the way. In, in, in very small companies, there's very little sophistication. And so that process looks more like, okay, we bought Discover Org. We're going to give it to the sales reps. We're going to tell them they should make calls and, and try to find new opportunities through it. Uh, go. And that's what the process <laughs> looks like at the SMB level. And as, as the companies get bigger, as sort of in the mid-market, if you think of companies with you know, over 75 employees up to, call it, a thousand employees, that's where we see the highest levels of sophistication around process. That's where every dime that gets spent is built into a, a really, uh, a really well-managed cycle and process, and they're getting the most out of their investments. And then as, a, as companies get over a thousand employees, we see sort of the sophistication level fall again. Uh, and, and then in those companies, again, it's like, okay, we need a data tool buy Discover Org. All right, sales guys, here's Discover Org. Go. And so at both ends, it's sort of like a, you know, like a bell curve. Uh, at both ends, it's, uh, it's, there's not enough sophistication to get real value out of uh, high-quality data or tools. And sort of in the middle, those companies are taking the most advantage. So here's, all right, so along, sort of along the same, same path. This is that I presume that a, a high fraction of your customers employ an inside sales model of some sort. Yep. And so therefore maybe you're in a you know unique position to answer the question is is that it seems like one of the issues with our current inside sales models is currently currently constituted is at least based on the data I see and the companies I talk to is that you know the the close rates are pretty low overall, right? I mean you're talking about low twenties, twenty to low twenties on average in a lot of companies. And, and when you say close rate, Andy, how do you define against, that? Against qualified opportunities in the pipeline. Okay. Yep. And, and you know, it takes a lot of names to feed the beast when you're doing that. And yeah. so it seems like what, what I see too many companies doing is saying, well, look, if, if we, you know, did, uh, you know, X million dollars last year based on this number of calls that we made and so on and so forth, 
the answer to growing is to make, you know, we're going to grow 50%. We've got to make 1.5 times as so many calls every day, da, 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 da. And just sort of yep. brute, brute force math on it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, well, really the close rate needs to change, right? We need yeah. to, we need to, I mean, I've been trying to come up with a, a metaphor for this. I mean, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still working. I don't have the good, I'm, I'm getting closer though. But, but it's like, um, you know, it's like we have two parts of a factory making a product or one is, is maybe you're making a car and you need four, four wheels in the car, but you know, it takes, you have to make a hundred wheels to make four wheels. <laughs> you have to make 20 wheels to make four wheels, I guess in that case. Right. Or you and, have to make, uh, you you're making a hundred wheels, but you don't have enough chassis to put them on. Yeah. I mean, it depends which, which ends, you know, which, which ends the tail and which ones the dog. But, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's sort of interesting your perspective. You know, how you think things are going to have to change because I think that that the way we're currently doing it can't last, and that the way we have to evolve is by increasing that close rate. Which means finding a way, and this is really down your alley. How do we get better prospects into the pipeline yep. that are going to close at a higher rate, or at the same time look at what we're doing in our own process? To say, yeah, we're not being very effective in that rate in the way we're doing our process. We also improve that to include improve the close rate but it seems like there's gonna be change i just interested in your perspective how you think that's going to change yeah i mean look when we think about the funnel there you know obviously there are a bunch of different places to impact it you know if you if you're able to increase activity that's great and uh and uh, you know activity is the core of increasing sales and so if you make that the brute force math probably works, but is incredibly inefficient, right? If you want to grow sales 50%, you probably make 150% more calls. And uh, assuming there's no variability in the people you're calling that, and the conversion rates stay the same, that, you know, you'll probably sell 50% more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not a particularly efficient way to, to get there. Uh, and, and the more efficient way to get there is sort of to look at the universe of people that you're calling and say, okay, we made a hundred calls. And of those hundred calls, these 25 people that we called are bad fits. Uh, they're very unlikely to buy our product. They're the wrong people at the company anyways. And so let's start filtering these out. Um, and then let's go also at, in the same t- at the same time say, what does our ideal customer profile look like? Who are they? Are they small companies? Are they big companies? Are they pharmaceutical companies? Are they financial services companies? Are they are they using a specific technology? Are they Salesforce customers? Are they Marketo customers? Are they SharePoint customers? Are they do they have an IBM mainframe? Um, and then let's draw a circle around that universe of companies, whatever it is. And, uh, and then let's say within those companies, who's our ideal buyer. So of those hundred calls that we made, which ones were converting the most, uh, which ones were converting into demos the most, which ones were converting from demo to opportunity the most, and which ones were converting from opportunity to close the most. Mm-hmm. And then let's draw a circle around those. And let's couple those two things together and say, these are the people that we're going to focus on going forward. Uh, and let's call these people because calling a hundred of these people is a lot more effective than calling a hundred random people. And I think on so, top of that though, what you get out of that though too is, is some of the metrics that we're using like pipeline coverage and so on. Those metrics need to change. Yep. I mean, people, we have to get 
better at closing. You start with the process you're talking about, and then layer on top of that, we just have to get better at closing the ones that truly are qualified to buy what we have. Yep. And then, you know, there's a whole element there of, you know, are you with power? Or is there a real buying need? Mm-hmm. Are you, do you have enough coverage within the account to get something done? And, you know, what we see a lot, or what I see a lot, unfortunately, is when we go into, um, when we go into large accounts, you know, we have this sort of muscle around selling, um, selling into that sort of 75 to 250 employee company. When we go into large accounts, the dynamic changes significantly. And so the, the, you know, you run a sales process with a director of sales operations, but that person doesn't really have the clout to push the deal through. And so unless along the way you're, you know, you're going back and checking in with the, with the VP or the president of the group who actually does have the clout to push in, then at procurement time, you're in trouble. Um, and so just knowing the dynamic within your account and, and knowing that you have coverage across the decision makers becomes more and more important as well. Yeah. Well, very good. Unfortunately, Henry, we, we're just running out of time here. So uh, tell folks how they can find out more about Discover Org and connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, discoverorg.com is uh, our website. We're on Twitter at, at discoverorg. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Henry L. Shuck, S-C-H-U-C-K. Also connect with me on LinkedIn. We have a, a big presence there. But uh, also my email is just henry.shuck at discoverorg.com. So would love to hear from any of the, the listeners if they have any other questions. Well, great. Well, Henry, thanks again for, for joining us. And thank you for being a great partner of Accelerate as well. We really appreciate it. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back and join us for our next great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, I really appreciate it if you go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe, leave us a review. We want to hear what we can do to make this a better experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.